Well, I want to just say what an incredible honor it is to be able to speak here at St. Timothy's. Uh, I, I, I love this church. Um, you know, my first introduction to St. Timothy's was uh, back in 2015. This woman named Ruth Harden showed up at my church. At that time, I was a pastor at a church called The River in uh, Willow Glen. And Ruth gave me this, this sales pitch for this thing called the Walk for Water. And if you've ever uh, had Ruth give you a sales pitch, she is an extremely difficult woman to say no to. <laughs> and I could not, that's true, I know. <laughs> I could not say no to her. And so my whole church, and at that time I was a youth pastor, my youth group got involved. We were uh, able to participate in the Walk for Water in 2015. We came back and did it again in 2016. And I'll tell you, I was just blown away by the generosity and the intensity of, of the St. Timothy's congregation. You guys really love people. And to watch you raise hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, to build wells in countries that you've never been to, for people you've never known. What an incredible blessing. Now, it turns out that this is near and dear to my heart. I, my wife, uh, Dr. Angie Biomaster right here, she's a family physician. We have three adopted kids that are refugees from the South Sudanese Civil War. And so they had actually grown up without access to clean water. And, uh, uh, as a, uh, and when their village was attacked, they were forced to flee to a uh, refugee camp in northern Uganda. And so uh, four years ago, or three years ago, Dr. and Angie and I uh, went back uh, to see where they grew up. So our daughter actually took us back to the refugee camp where, where she grew up. And I took an eight-week sabbatical, and I had the opportunity to actually stay in the refugee camp where my kids grew up. And as a part of that, I got the opportunity to walk for water in real life because we didn't have access to clean water. And so I want to show this video. Um, uh, uh, actually, we'll skip that. Go ahead and go to the video here. Um, I want to show this video. So this is uh, some of the uh, people related to my daughter. And the women are out walking for water. They had to make four or five trips a day. They spent typically five hours a day walking, making a 45-minute round trip to get water. And because we were staying there, that was the water that I was drinking and they were cooking for me. So here I am. This is only one trip, and I only have one jug of water, and I'm kind of dying. <laughs> it's really hard. This is their second or third trip today, and a lot of them had two jugs of water. So, unfortunately, my walk for water training didn't do very well, and I was a little bit of a weenie. Um, but, man, you know, uh, sitting there and watching them was, was incredible. As a part of the eight-week sabbatical I took, I made a decision that I was going to read the entire Bible from cover to cover. And if you've ever been in a refugee camp, you know that things move slowly. And so I spent a lot of time sitting underneath this, this mango tree reading the Bible. And, you know, there's something that happened there that fundamentally changed the way I thought. God was calling my wife and I to something new uh, you know, we were doing really well in our positions. Dr. Angie was a physician at a small clinic in our community. Um, I was a pastor, but there was a, there was a rumbling. There was something happening. And as I sat underneath this mango tree, I read these passages, and something clicked in my mind that I'd never seen before. And so I want to invite you to read these passages along with me and, and notice what Jesus is doing here, particularly around healing. We're going to look at three vignettes from Luke chapter 5. And the first one is the one that I, that I just read. And I want you to notice here, what is the first action that Jesus takes in each of these stories? What is the first action that Jesus takes? So, story number one. Let's set the stage. Jesus walks up and sees a leper. 
Now, I want you to get in your mind what a leper looks like, right? This is a person that has a really awful, contagious skin disease. His skin is rotting. He's covered in flies. There are probably maggots laying eggs in his wounds. Jesus walks up, and what's the first thing he does? Well, take a look at it. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Now, stop and think about that for a second. That makes no sense at all. If you were Jesus and you saw a man with a contagious skin disease, wouldn't you want to heal him first and then give him a big hug afterwards? But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus walks up and touches the leper. In the next vignette, uh, there is a story of these guys who climb up on a wealthy guy's roof. The house is packed with Pharisees and teachers of the law. They dig a hole in the roof and they drop a paralytic through the roof. I mean, you guys know this story. Well, what's the first thing that Jesus says to this man? I think most of us think, oh, the first thing he says is, Get up your, take up your mat and walk. Which would make a lot of sense, because that's the reason the guy dropped through the, the, the ceiling. But what's the first thing that Jesus says to this man? Friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, I want you to imagine you had just dug through the hole of some wealthy guy's roof, right? Your friends had climbed up there. You dropped down. You did this. You didn't come there to get your sins forgiven. You came there to get healed. And then this, the, the teacher looks at you and says, friend, your sins are forgiven. And you're like, huh? What does that even mean? And what were his sins? You know, it's interesting it doesn't say because in other circumstances, like when Jesus met the woman at the well, he called her sins out, Right? Her sins of infidelity. But in this case, he doesn't even say what they are. What the heck is going on here, you know? And then in the third vignette in Luke chapter 5, Jesus meets a tax collector. Now this is a, you got to understand, a tax collector is kind of, you know, modern translation would be like a Bernie Madoff, right? A corrupt, white-collar criminal who steals normal people's money to enrich himself. I mean, these are really awful people, really disgusting people. And Jesus walks up to this guy, this white-crawler criminal who is, in, in, that, in that time, probably enslaving people to be able to extract more tax money from them. And Jesus' response to this guy is what? Follow me. And then he goes and he eats dinner with him. You know, and you just got to ask, like, what is going on here? And as I sat underneath that mango tree in that refugee camp, it grabbed hold of me in a really profound way. And, and here's what I realized. You can go to the, the next slide. You know, Jesus does something really surprising. When he sees the leper, his first act is to touch him. When he sees the paralytic, his first act is to forgive him. And when he sees the tax collector, his first act is to invite him. Now, it's interesting because, you know, at the time I was a pastor and my wife was a physician. And you go to the doctor to heal your wounds, right? Your physical ailments. And you go to church to be forgiven. But what's interesting is I've never gone to the doctor and been forgiven. And I mean, it seems like this should happen, but I've never gone to church and had a physical ailment healed. They happen in separate places at separate times. But you know, for Jesus, those were inseparable. So what was Jesus up to? Well, I think if you want to understand what, what Jesus' mission, what his strategy was, you need to turn one page prior to Luke chapter 4. You know, this is the only sermon recorded that Jesus gave in a house of worship. He walks in the synagogue, he opens up the scroll to Isaiah 61, which is our Old Testament reading, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim 
good news to the poor. He gets up in a church. He gives the shortest sermon ever recorded, I think. You probably, a lot of you are wishing that my sermon was that, this short right now. And he says, the good news has been proclaimed to the poor. He goes on to say that he is, uh, you can go back to that for a second, that, uh, that he is proclaiming freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, proclaim uh, the, uh, the year of the Lord's favor, which is a throwback to Leviticus 25, the year of Jubilee. And he finishes that saying that, that they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Now I know Pastor Cords has been working with you guys on thinking about St. Timothy's as a church that, that impacts the city. You know, God's vision for this church isn't just that you guys come here every Sunday morning, right? God's vision for this church is that you impact the city and the world. And what I love about St. Timothy's is that's not just an idea. I have seen you doing that. And, you know, Jesus here is on a mission to proclaim good news to the poor and to renew devastated cities. Now, if you think about these three uh, stories, you can go to the next slide. It's interesting. You can see how Jesus is proclaiming good news to each one of these people. Stop and think about the leper. What was his deepest need? You know, I bet that that leper hadn't been touched in a decade. That leper's deepest need was to be touched. And Jesus didn't put on his gloves and his Tyvek suit like our modern medical system. He reached out and touched. You know, stop and think about that paralytic. What was his deepest need? You see, when that paralytic dropped through the ceiling, all the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the righteous people, they looked at him and the first thing they thought was, what was the sin that he committed or what was the sin that his parents committed that led him to becoming paralyzed? And so you see, if Jesus was going to return him to a proper state of dignity, he had to forgive his sins. You know, healing the leper in and of itself doesn't give him dignity. But touching him in a state of disease and then sending him to the priest for cleansing, it fundamentally dignifies the leper. Just healing the paralytic doesn't give him dignity because if all Jesus did was say, take up your mat and walk, everybody still would have thought, oh, that guy's a sinner. Yeah, Jesus healed him, but he did something to deserve being a paralytic. And so what Jesus is, is he restores that man's dignity in front of the whole crowd. Your sins are forgiven. And then if you think, you know, the white-collar criminal, the wealthy guy who had gotten wealthy on, on, on ill-gained money, the first thing he does is he invites. The guy that nobody ever wanted to have over for dinner, that nobody ever wanted to be associated with, he invites. And what is the result of him inviting Levi to follow? Levi leaves behind all of his wealth and moves on to a life of equality. It's really interesting. You know, Jesus is bringing dignity and the healing of the city. And what's interesting is he elevates the leper in a way that he can go out and function in society, get a job and be fruitful in society. He elevates the paralytic so that he can have dignity among the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And what's interesting is Levi, the tax collector, goes from a wealthy man to becoming an itinerant homeless rabbi follower, one of the 12 disciples. And just like in 2 Corinthians 8, which we read as the epistle here this morning, the Apostle Paul says the goal is equality. And in Luke chapter 5, you can see Jesus doing that with each of these individuals through the gift of dignity. So, you know, as I sat there under that mango tree, I thought, what if we could do that? 
What if we could have one place where people came to receive both healing and forgiveness? Where people who have means could contribute to those who don't? And so we began to dream about it, and God planted the seed to start a new initiative. My wife and I had moved into the Washington neighborhood in downtown San Jose. It's the neighborhood just, if you take the Almond Expressway, it's just before you get to downtown. It's the lowest income census block in Silicon Valley. Um, And so we began to dream about forming a clinic that could heal like Jesus. What if we took these stories and literally put them into action? And so in uh, uh, March of 2020, we launched the clinic. Little did we know what was going to happen next. And then COVID hit. Um, And man, it's just been this incredible ride over these past two or three years. you know, when COVID hit, it just financially devastated our community. Prior to COVID, our families made on average $28,500 a year and paid $18,000 a year in rent here in Silicon Valley. And I just want you to stop and think about what it's like to live on $18,000 a year. You know, there are 60,000 families in Santa Clara County that are extremely low income. 60,000, not people, but families that live on less than $45,000 per year as a family. We have a lot of poverty right here in our backyard and a lot of people that need healing. And so as Healing Grove launched, we launched straight into the pandemic. We tested more than 10,000 people for COVID and supported 2,400 low-income families who were COVID positive through quarantine. We were able to distribute more than 105,000 packages of groceries to about 20,000 families. Uh, we, uh, and then we had this just flourishing employment program where we were able to employ more than 150 families uh, who had lost their jobs and fallen behind on rent because of COVID. And I want to tell you a few of the stories of people that we were able to employ. So first of all, I want to tell you a story of a woman named, that we'll call, uh, we'll call Maria. So Maria came to us. She's a recent immigrant, Spanish-speaking, monolingual Spanish-speaking from uh, uh, South America. And Maria came to us, and she was, uh, she was really sick. Physically, she's very ill. And as she began to share her testimony, it came out that she had been severely abused by her husband. She was in a just terrible domestic violence relationship. And one day as she was sharing her testimony, she pulled down her shirt and uh, her chest was just covered in scars at places that her husband had, had beaten her. It was just a really terrible situation. And so, you know, we began to provide medical care through Healing Grove. Dr. Angie did a great job taking care of her and loving her and giving her compassion. The problem was that she wasn't working, and her kids weren't in school. And she was, you could just see her going straight down the path to, to homelessness. And so uh, we decided, you know, what she really needs is a job. Now, praise God, we had started a program called the United Against the Poverty Pandemic Initiative, where we began to employ people during the pandemic. And so we gave uh, Maria a job. She started working in our job program. She was working on distributing food to to low-income families. But she didn't show up at work some days. And she came in late. And when she was there, she kind of sat in a chair. And so, you know, we began to work with her. Like, you got to kind of show up on time. you got to do your job. And the truth was, she was just so broken, she couldn't do it. And, you know, there's always this moment where, you're, you're like, ah, but she has so much pain in her past. She's experienced so much domestic violence. She has all these problems. Let's just be compassionate. Let's just give her a paycheck, and if she sits in a chair, that's okay. The problem is that when you do that, that is not treating someone with dignity. 
she was able to work. And we called her to that, and unfortunately, she wouldn't do it. And we actually had to let her go. And it's one of those painful things. You know, we prayed with her, and we worked with her, and she just... She just wouldn't do it, and we, and we let her go. Now, we kept her as a patient. We continued to work, for, work with her. She actually was living with one of our staff people. Um, and so uh, about um, a month ago, she showed up at Healing Grove. She now has a full-time job. She's working. She's actually doing pretty well. And she brought me a mug that had my picture on it. She'd, like, gone and gotten my picture. She got my picture off the website and printed it on a mug. And I was like, wow, that's so sweet. And, like, I fired you, you know? <laughs> And she said, I'm really grateful. I said, oh, that's, that's nice. And then two weeks ago, she shows up at Healing Grove with this. And I'll tell you, man, I just, I just burst into tears when I saw this. So this is a piece of artwork that Maria had commissioned in Honduras, where she's from. And in this piece of artwork, this is myself and my wife and our, uh, our community engagement director, Maria, who she had lived with. She came and she gave us this. And she said, I want to thank you for loving me. Isn't that incredible? You see, by letting her go, we gave her the dignity of saying, no, you can do this, and you need to do it. And she needed that in order to move forward in her life. And she's so incredibly grateful that we cared for her and that we fired her, that she went and commissioned a painting. I mean, I've had a lot of people that I've loved a lot in my life. I've never gone out and commissioned a painting for somebody. But this hangs in my office as a tribute to what it, what it looks like to give dignity to people. I want to tell another story. Uh, this is a photo of baby Ezrella. Baby Ezrella came to us uh, about uh, four months old, blue, losing weight, uh, not doing well. Dr. Angie diagnosed her with a congenital heart defect. It's a pretty simple surgery to fix. Uh, uh, It's kind of a one-and-done surgery. If she gets this surgery, she'll be fine for the rest of her life. Unfortunately, baby Ezrella and her family are uninsured. Uh, Dr. Angie began making calls to all the local hospitals, and everybody said, sure, we can do that surgery. Uh, What insurance do they have? And when we told them what insurance they had, they, they said, no, we can't do that surgery. We finally appealed to the big university research center in the area, and uh, they said, uh, you know, unfortunately, we ended charity care 20 years ago. They don't do any more charity care. We said, well, how much would it cost? And because of the stupid game between insurers and, and hospitals, it was going to cost a million dollars. Obviously, the family didn't have a million dollars. So we began to negotiate with them, and we got it down to 200000 Well, there's no way this family is going to come up with $200,000. And so we prayed, and we lobbied like crazy. And uh, we sent a prayer message out, and a, a, uh, a, a, a person of means in our, in our prayer community stood up and said, I, I want to save this baby. So uh, Dr. Angie made literally probably 100 phone calls, and eventually we got the price down to $20,000. This, this generous donor stood up, uh, uh, made the payment, and literally I, I made the payment on a Friday afternoon, the, next, the, the following day on a Saturday morning, Ezrella was in the OR getting the surgery. And today, I'm super happy to say that Ezrella has fat cheeks. <laughs> I've never been so happy to see a baby with fat cheeks. She is thriving. Now, uh, the story doesn't stop there. You know, that's a story of a city that, that's in ruins, like in Isaiah 61, where if you're uninsured, the answer from our healthcare system is you're going to have to die. That baby is going to have to die. 
And so we began to, uh, we, we, we continued to work, and because of this story, that healthcare system is, is now working towards reinstating their charity care policy. And in that way, we are rebuilding the ruins of the city. We are impacting the city. I want to tell you, uh, um, I want to tell you another story. So uh, you can go to the next slide. Actually, go to the, go to the next slide. Um, so there was a man who we'll call Jose who came to Healing Grove, and uh, he, uh, he kind of like shuffled into Healing Grove like this. He was having some really significant neurological damage, and it turned out that uh, over time, over the past six or eight months, he was progressively losing feeling in one side of his body. Dr. Angie worked him up and diagnosed him with a tumor in his spinal cord that was cutting off his nerves, and he was going to become paralyzed. And she said, you know, why in the world have you been sitting at home progressively becoming paralyzed and not gone to the doctor? Well, it turns out that he was uninsured and he was terrified of the bill he would get. And he understood that if he went to the doctor, he would get a bill that would probably ruin his family. And so uh, he, as he he gotten progressively worse, he had stopped working. His son, uh, even though it's a really low-income family, had gotten a full ride to a UC and was on his way to go to medical school. He was really doing great. But because of his dad's sickness, he had to drop out of college in his, in his uh, junior year and come home and care for his dad, who wouldn't go to the doctor. Angie said, well, why did you come to Healing Grove? And uh, the son said, oh, uh, he heard that people at Healing Grove speak Spanish and you can trust them. <laughs> and so he came in uh, uh, to Healing Grove. Angie worked him up. And then we began to advocate for a brain surgery in order to remove this tumor. We were able to get him access to that surgery by working through all the different channels in the county hospital. And we got in the surgery, and he was better. Now, at that point, you think, we healed him, right? He can go off and work, and he's fine. The problem was this. It's not just the physical problem. For the past six or eight months, he had been developing a mindset of a disabled person. And so after the surgery, he was physically healed, but not emotionally. It was just like the paralytic, right, where he had, uh, he, he needed, you know, he needed to take up his mat and walk, but no one had forgiven his sins. And so he was able to meet with our pastor, and then eventually we, we uh, actually hired him through our employment program, and he was able to kind of like work on some of the deeper-seated problems and eventually ended up thriving. Now he has a job. We helped his son get back in college. And in fact, uh, in the background of this picture, you can see his son volunteering in our, in our COVID testing program because he's fluently bilingual. He was just amazing. Now you might ask, well, why in the world would a health center have an employment program, right? That's not normal. Most people don't go to the doctor in order to get a job. And I want to tell you the story of why we have an employment program. Uh, you know, through the United Against the Poverty Pandemic Initiative, we were able to work with a whole bunch of churches in Silicon Valley who stepped up and made incredibly generous donations to fund the work that we do. And there's this one church in South San Jose down on Camden Avenue called St. Timothy's that made an incredibly generous contribution to that. And the reason that Maria and Jose could get jobs and have their lives transformed through the dignity of Jesus was because of the generosity of this congregation. You guys are not just impacting, you know, uh, families all across the world through Water Mission and the Walk for Water. You guys are impacting the families right here in San Jose that are living in poverty. 
I want you to think about what is it going to look like for you to bring healing like Jesus? What does it look like for you to reach out and touch the leper? What does it look like for you to give forgiveness to the paralytic and then to say, take up your mat and walk? Well, I think you can do that through the fish pantry, giving people dignity that come in needing food. You can volunteer with Anna Marie in the youth group, reaching kids at Branham High School and and Bret Hart and through all the ministry that that Anna Marie is doing. You can become a coach and volunteer with the the Christian athletic teams that that play on your fields out here or uh, work with the clubs that meet in the different parts of, of your properties. Or you can get involved at Healing Grove. Let me share a couple different ways you can get involved at Healing Grove. You know, at Healing Grove, we have this interesting thing. When I read that passage, Jesus healed two poor people, the leper and the paralytic, and he healed a wealthy person, a tax collector. And so we copied that model at Healing Grove. You can go to the next slide. We had this really interesting way that you can get involved where you can actually come to Healing Grove, and Healing Grove can become your primary care doctor. For a monthly fee, you get the personal cell phone of of your doctor. You get a doctor who knows Jesus and loves and cares for you both on the spiritual level and in your health. And as a part of doing so, every paying member funds two low-income uninsured people to be able to access the clinic. So for every person of means that we're able to heal, we're able to heal two low-income people just like Jesus. And I would love to invite you to be a part of that. We have several hundred people on our wait list, and we're waiting for more uh, concierge members that are willing to step up and to be able to provide that care for low-income people in our community. If that doesn't work for you, we'd love to invite you to become regular donors of Healing Grove. You can go to the next slide. For $70 a month, you can provide health care to one low-income uninsured person living right here in San Jose. Um, you know, I'm so incredibly grateful for St. Timothy's, and I'm, I'm, incredible, I'm just so grateful for the way you've impacted my life, and watching people like Ruth and Dan, Pastor Dan, and watching people like Anna Marie and, you know, your congregation and its incredible generosity. And I want to say thank you. So to finish off, I want to show a video about what it's like to receive healing Silicon at Healing Valley Grove Health Center. Silicon Valley community has been richly blessed by God. But right next door in the downtown San Jose, Washington community, there's thousands of families living in poverty. The disparities are particularly stark in healthcare. But what can you do? You can post on social media, but is that actually going to matter? What can you actually do? I want you to hear a story from Willow Glen community member Sandra Haas about how she made an impact through Healing Grove Health Center. So I think as the hardest part for me as a Christian, and it really broke my heart, you know, going through this system really brought, a, brought awareness, a new awareness to me of how many people are, you know, have been trying to get care for years and how expensive it is. And then if you have money, you can have good care. And if you do not have money, you do not have good care. I mean, what about the, the, the people that are sick and they have no insurance? I had felt very lonely. I found myself with lots of pain in different places and uh, everything started with an injury, a hip flexor injury. I had been to 12 doctors already and I had nothing to lose, although I felt a little bit, I trusted God, but I was pretty hopeless. Dr. Angela met with me and she, um, in one appointment, was able to diagnose me. I had pernicious anemia, I was able to take uh, B12 injections. And so their model is that I can have Dr. Angela's personal cell phone number. 
she not only diagnosed it, but she was able to actually guide me through the process bit by bit. So what I love about it is because they have the vision not of just physical care, but soul care and culture care, they work with you. I'm so grateful that when I pay my $200, not only have I good care, but I am making an impact through Healing Growth because they are ministering to the poor, to the uninsured, but to know that my money is not going to bless me, but actually have an impact on others, because as Christians, we like to give. They provide not only that care, but they provide hope. Instead of being collateral damage, is collateral blessing. I would love to invite you to become a patient here at Healing Grove Health Center, where for just $200 a month, you get access to a top quality Christian, physician. You get the personal cell phone of the physician. You get 30 to 60 minute appointments with a physician that actually cares about you. And best of all, you get to know that every paying member funds two low-income uninsured members to be able to get that same top quality care. It's a call for Christians to minister to the poor. And ministering and, uh, uh, you know, giving to Healing Grove, you know, you are actually fulfilling that call as a Christian. So Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you uh, that you are the kind of God that touches the leper. I want to thank you that you are the kind of God that forgives the paralytic. And I want to thank you that you are the kind of God that invites the wealthy to follow God. I pray, Lord, that we would be inspired to heal like Jesus, to heal the city, God, to rebuild the ruins of the city that we're in, and in doing so, to fulfill your call to love the nations. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.